As our listeners know, most of our episodes deal with true crimes within the last two or three decades, Chris. But since it's Christmas, we're going to go back almost 100 years to a Texas crime from the 1920s. The Associated Press called it the Santa Claus Bank Robbery. We're recording this before a live audience in the town where it all began, Cisco, Texas. And our guest on the show today is Thomas Goodman, who has written a carefully researched novel about this robbery. So, Tom, what happened in Cisco in December of 1927? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on uh, the podcast, uh, Chris and Brandy. Absolutely. And uh, it's good to be in this setting where I can... uh, tell this story that has meant so much to me and all my research over the years. So here's the nickel tour. Uh, Four men set out to rob the First National Bank of Cisco, just a couple of blocks from actually where we're sitting here at the Conrad Hilton Center. And since the ringleader was from Cisco, he needed a way of disguising his identity from neighbors who would have recognized him. It was two days before Christmas, so he thought it would be brilliant to dresses Santa Claus. And so that's why it's been known as the Santa Claus bank robbery. Almost from the beginning, the Associated Press came up with that title. Now, it was supposed to be an easy three-minute heist, but uh, as soon as people found out the bank was being robbed, uh, lawmen and citizens surrounded the bank and started shooting at anyone who stuck his head out of the alleyway door. There was an alleyway door from the bank that uh, led to their getaway car. And so they used hostages as human shields, including two fourth grade girls, and took them out into the alleyway, were able to finally get to their getaway car. And that resulted in, uh, at the time, the largest manhunt in Texas. It took seven days to uh, get all these guys arrested. And in the long and short of it is, because this is the nickel tour, uh, one person, one, one bandit was killed in the getaway. One was executed by the state. One was dragged out of the Eastland County Jail and lynched. And one was given a life sentence and turned his life around and uh, ended up with a, a good news ending for his life. Okay, so that is a nickel tour, but let's flush this out. Uh, you said there are, this was supposed to be an easy heist that went sideways fast. So according to your book, a big reason it went sideways was because of a reward for killing bank robbers. That's right. In this um, time of Texas history, the, there are an average of about three or four banks per day that were being robbed. And so the Texas Bankers Association thought um, the best thing to do is basically deputize citizens. They promised a $5,000 payout for anyone who killed a bank robber. And the poster said, and not one penny for a live one. So this was known as the dead bank robber reward. And it was a controversial reward at the time, but it was also a uh, an intriguing reward because... Uh, We're hearing the train, which makes me think of <laughs> bank robberies. So there we go. <laughs> and this is a live show. So it's you a live show. Like that. You know, you mentioned that the bank... Um, deputize people how are they able to like how was law enforcement allowing this um during this time just to basically say like you're going to be absolved of any crime for killing some i mean i know they're in the midst of a crime but mm. even so like today if you were to mm. shoot a bank robber you're probably going to get in some trouble well there were there were lawmen who uh tried to take advantage of this and then there were lawmen who didn't like this at all because they knew people would take advantage yeah. of it so just a, a Maybe a couple of months before the Santa Claus bank robbery, December 1927, uh, a deputy in Stanton, Texas, trying to take advantage of this reward, lined up four uh, 
laborers by the bank in Stanton, shot them, and claimed they were trying to rob the bank. And so he wanted to get $5,000 reward for each one of these guys. And his plan fell apart when, when one of the guys turned out to survive the shooting. And so there were lawmen who didn't like this at all. The legendary Texas Ranger, Frank Hamer, yeah. uh, very publicly regarded this as blood money and, and did not uh, want this to continue. But the Texas Bank Robbers Association was frustrated, understandably, and wanted to find out some way of stemming the tide. Now, it was controversial, but it was attractive. Uh, $5,000 was $85,000 in today's wow. money. And so it was it was something. Well, in the times, too, I mean, that's people were broke and they were, you know, Mm-hmm. And people were none too happy with the banks too. I guess at that time as well, given mm-hmm. depression and all the foreclosures and whatnot as well too. So, so it's hard. So, what happened when the men came out of the bank? Were they all shot? Were they? Did they? What happened when yeah. they when they got out? Well, they they uh, they all suffered wounds of one kind or another, and several of the hostages did as well. Uh, tragically, uh, the chief of police was fatally wounded in the front of the alley, and one of his deputies was fatally li- you know, wounded in the back of, of the alleyway. And th- that, of course, raised this to a capital crime as soon as these guys ended up being uh, captured. But um, they they did make it to the car, and they took these two little girls, these fourth-grade girls, and even though the other hostages were one by one able to get away, they were left behind. But these two little girls were... Uh, in the getaway car. So it's Christmas time. You can kind of imagine the scene. Here's this late, uh, late model, 1927, stolen Buick sedan, four men in there, one dressed as Santa Claus, and on his lap is one of these little fourth grade girls as they try to make their way out of town. Okay. So what happened to the girls? Uh, thankfully they, uh, uh, were released unharmed, uh, but not without a terrifying uh, yeah. getaway because, um, as, as, uh, as this, uh, getaway began, a, a car chase took place. Uh, the citizens who uh, had, uh, had been surrounding the bank jumped into and onto cars uh, to pursue the getaway car. The robbers were able to slow down the pursuit a little bit by casting out a bunch of roofing nails and that punctured a bunch of tires and they were able to uh, start to create some separation from the pursuers. But then they realized something. They were uh, almost out of gas. Either they had forgotten to fill up the tank on their long drive down to the bank robbery or more likely all that shooting punctured holes in the, in the tank. One way or the other though, they had to, uh, a pull over and commandeer another car. There was a car coming into town driven by a 14 year old. Um, uh, I mean, his family was with him and they'd given him permission to drive them into town for some last minute Christmas shopping. And, uh, so here comes Santa Claus right up to the, uh, door and, and, uh, and then every you know, guns are drawn and they take the people out of the car. But as they jump into the car, uh, this 14-year-old boy had the presence of mind as he got out of the car to take the keys and run away. And so the pursuers are getting closer. They uh, the, the bank robbers can't get away in this new stolen car. And so they get back to their original car. Uh, they leave their uh, seriously wounded uh, comrade in the uh, uh, in the spot. They just leave him for dead. Unfortunately, they also leave something else in that 
abandoned cars. They get back into their original getaway car. They leave the loot. Oh, oh So no. it would have been the largest bank heist up to that time in Texas, but they didn't even get out of town with the money. They didn't realize this at the time. They realized later. But uh, that, that of course, was no doubt a disappointment to them at that point. Um, and so... You 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 have this guy who's dying but not yet dead, but he 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 does eventually die on Christmas Day, and uh, and now it's three bank robbers. You asked about the girls though, so as these guys got out of town, uh, they ditched the car in the woods and left the girls unharmed and set out on foot. Good. Yes. Good. Everybody wants to know that, so I won't be coy about. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to read the book in order to find that out. Yeah. So they made it out safely. There's one down, three robbers out mm. there to go. So what happens next? Okay. So um, uh, I, I will I will say something about the, the robber that they left for dead. He lived for a couple of more days. He was in the Eastland County Hospital. And there are a number of people who remember their relatives telling about lining up at the outside window, uh, people peering in to see this real live dead bank robber. And so no other account, written account of the book talks about it, but I include that scene uh, in my book. But like I said, he died you know, on Christmas Day. And um, and the interesting thing was this was a last-minute recruit to the robbery. He had never committed a crime in his life. And so this was his first and only adventure into crime. Um, and so these other guys, though, I think I mentioned to you on, on the phone yesterday, Brandy, that these people had... Um, uh, uh, this guy, he had never committed a crime, but the other three had. And so, of course, one of the questions, obviously, then is, well, why were they out if they'd committed crimes? Um, one guy was just serving a two-year term for breaking and entering. He was out after completing his term. The other two uh, had each been given separate 25-year sentences for armed robberies, separate armed robberies. Mm -hmm. But Ma Ferguson, who was the governor at the time, uh, gave out a lot of questionable pardons during her time. A lot of people, I think, reliably believe that a number of those pardons were for bribes. Well, she disbanded the Texas Rangers. That's too. right. Yeah. She disbanded the Texas <laughs> you know, Rangers that, yeah. and and uh, and probably got a lot of bribe money for uh, for all these pardons. Wow. We don't know whether these guys uh, bribed her to get out. The, what we do know is that only two years into their armed robbery sentences, they were out on the street again and immediately started planning this bank heist. So obviously they had not reformed uh, all that much. So you said this became the largest manhunt in Texas to that date, correct? That, that's right. It lasted seven days. It was the first um, manhunt to involve air reconnaissance. Uh, what that means is one of the one of the Texas Rangers asked an air mile, uh, air mail pilot to get him up in the air just to have a look around. That didn't help to find him. But um, about four days into the manhunt, uh, they were cornered in uh, an abandoned oil field, an oil field full of derricks. So this is, that's very Texas true crime, yes, right? Very. Abandoned oil derricks and they cornered them there. And the Santa Claus robber was, was shot down and couldn't go any further. The other two guys staggered into the woods and they lasted three more days before uh, they were captured without a fight in Graham, Texas. They were emaciated. They were hungry. They were worn out. They were weak from their wounds. And so they didn't put up a fight and, you know, it, they all went on trial at that point. Well, not to be funny, but was he still wearing the Santa Claus? 
Actually, they at, at that's stage. a good question. Actually, by that stage, he was not. Okay, yeah. I just was wondering because I mean, you know, it's once you've already been spotted in that, you might right. want to put some different clothes on. That's right. So um, the man hunts over. Yep. They now get put on trial. That's right. What comes next with these guys? Each of them face separate trials, and uh, and those all take place in um, Eastland County. And armed robbery, even without a murder, uh, could draw down the capital crime, I mean, capital offense at that time. But uh, this one, like I said, involved the deaths of two police officers. And so these guys were each independently tried for murder. Two were given the death sentence. And one, the jury took pity on him and gave him a life sentence instead of the death sentence. So, okay, let's do the math. Of the four bandits, we now have two down and two to go. So what happens next? Um, and and so... Um, so the guys were put on, on, uh, death row or two of the ones were put on death row. And, um, uh, one of them, before he goes to the chair, he feigns insanity because there was a law in the books at the time that even if you weren't regarded as insane for when you committed the crime, if you weren't cognizant of why you were being executed, you couldn't be executed. You could be put in an asylum. Uh, he uh, he was not very successful. It only took 10 minutes for an Eastland County jury to determine he was sane enough to be executed. And so he was uh, the 70th person in Texas executed by the state. And um, But the, the next bandit of the Santa Claus bandit gang who was on death row, he also attempted uh, insanity. And um, he... Uh, he was a little more persuasive, and there's some reasons for that, but he was transferred back to Eastland County Jail. Uh, he maintained this false paralysis, so much so that the guards sort of let down their guard over a month of taking care of this seemingly catatonic person. And when they were away on another part of the jail taking care of something, he broke out of his uh, cell and tried to get the key to get out of the prison, killed a popular jailer in the process. And, of course, that enraged the citizens of Eastland County. And the next day, uh, about a 1,000 people surrounded the jail. According to the reports, most of them were there probably for an update on the jailer's status. He was fatally wounded, but he he wasn't dead yet. Uh, But there were about 50 men who had ill intent, and they broke into the prison and dragged uh, the the bandit out and lynched him uh, on a guy wire on the other side of the of the street from the jail. And so uh, that's usually where uh, uh, the story ends at that point. You've got one man who uh, died at the getaway, one man who was executed by the state, and one man who was lynched. But when I lived in Eastland in the 90s, and people would always tell me this story, I would always go, okay, you've told me about the guy who was killed in the getaway and the guy who was executed and the guy who you know, was lynched, but there was a fourth man. He was given a life sentence. Did anything interesting happen to him? And as it turns out, a lot of interesting things happened to him. Now, at first, uh, he broke out several times. There were, on average, about 300 jailbreaks uh, a year in Eastland prisons and work farms at the time. And he was involved in some pretty spectacular ones, including where he and and, uh, 12 other guys dug six feet under the uh, uh, work farm kitchen, 
60-foot tunnel out to the other side and broke loose. And he was gone for a year and a half after that and was arrested on the, on the, uh, uh, trying to cross into Juarez from El Paso. But he settled down after a while. In fact, he had a religious conversion experience, and his life changed so dramatically that Governor Coke Stevenson granted him a conditional pardon uh, only 15 years into his life sentence. And he did something with that. You know, he, he made the best of it. And he was given a full pardon by Governor John Connolly in 1964. And by the time he died um, as a 90-year-old in 1996, he'd been a married model citizen for 50 years. So all these years, I've thought, why hasn't that been part of the story? When Texas Monthly or Texas Highways tells the story, it always ends at the deaths of the other three robbers. But here's this fascinating portion of the story that never gets told. Which I think makes it so unique. And I told you that when I... When we told our listeners we were coming here, people were reaching out and saying, oh, I've heard of this story. My parents or my grandparents, you know, lived in Cisco and and told us the story. But this is part of the story maybe they don't know about. And Mm -hmm. now they can read about it. Um, So you call your book a novel. Why not a nonfiction book? Something like Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, I like Killers of the Flower Moon a lot. The book and the movie that's just come out. Um, But... There are some knowledge gaps in the uh, full story of the Santa Claus bank robbery. We we have to take some guesses as to their motivations, as to why they got involved in this. And there, you know, no, not surprisingly, the last man of the story did sort of want to disappear into obscurity. And um, so there's some things we know. There's some educated guesses we can make. And I just decided in the end it would be a better way to get people to the truth of the story by telling it as a novel. Now, at the end of uh, the book, there's a five-page section called Fact and Fiction where I spell out what's fact and what's fiction about this story. Okay. Do you want to give us one? (laughs) You want to throw out a teaser for our listeners? Uh, Well, uh, one little detail that I think is is interesting uh, is... so. Of the two bandits that were put on death row, uh, one, his, 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 uh, his mother gave him a little wind-up silver tone, a, a wind-up phonograph, and gave him a bunch of gospel records. I think she was trying to influence him spiritually. And he got into this habit of playing one of the recordings every time somebody walked on uh, past his cell to the death chamber when the roll is called up yonder, that old hymn, when the roll is called up yonder, nine men who walked by his cell during the time he was wow. on death row each heard that death march, okay. and uh, except for one. And that was his compatriot, uh, the the you know, his fellow bandit, when he walked by his cell on the way to the execution chamber, for some reason, this guy did not play that death march for him. We don't know why. So I actually felt like I needed to write that, uh, those last five pages, fact and fiction, because those little details, somebody would think, well, he's making that up. But it's the bizarre parts of the story that are actually from the newspaper. That is bizarre. I wonder yes. if it has something to do with him feeling a sense of responsibility that he's sitting in I, there. I always suspected he, he recruited this guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I was going to say mm-hmm. something to allude to that fact that perhaps mm-hmm. somewhat responsible and, you know, that's but right. Then again, I mean, I think it's, you're paying the music is paying somewhat respect to those people. I mean, right. not that we can yeah. granted they're all criminals. Mm-hmm. However, you know, they're still right. in that last kind of last right, I guess, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. 
Now, Thomas, we've talked about um, research, which mm. we do a lot of research in mm. what we do, um, and being true crime. How did you research this story? So, thankfully, there is a lot of newspaper coverage from the era, from the time. I mean, this was front page, top of the fold in Texas newspapers, but in, in certain national newspapers as well, for almost two years. And um, people were almost breathlessly following um with interest and with certain outrage, you know, how long it took for justice to finally come to, to, to some of these guys. And all of those, uh, newspapers can be found on newspapers.com. That was very helpful. There are some summaries that have been written over the years and those were very helpful. And then, uh, I live in Austin and so the Texas State Library and Archives was a very helpful resource. There's a, some material there that, um, to my knowledge, nobody else has, has, has bothered to look at and find and, and the handwritten prison records, you know, from yeah. these prisoners days. And it was really fascinating. I'm kind of a geek when it comes to research and I had fun with that. Me too. Newspapers.com, <laughs> I told you, is one of my favorites. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable what you can find and right. read about. That's right. And it's happening in the moment, mm -hmm. which I think is so key in some of these stories right. is what were the people thinking? Mm -hmm. What were the police thinking? Right. And how, how was the community reacting? to mm -hmm. what was going on. Um, so where can people learn more? I've got your book. Thank you. Good, it's, thank you. It's, um, I love the cover. He is mm. in the Santa Claus outfit. Yes. So you want to look for that, friends, when you're looking for the book, mm -hmm. The Last Man. So where can our listeners um, find your book? Well, uh, any online bookstore, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com, that kind of thing, you'll be able to find it there. Uh and uh, I use a fulfillment service called Gumroad if people want a signed copy from me. And so uh, all of uh, those details can be found on my website, which is Thomas Goodman Writes, W-R-I-T-E, you know, uh, the verb, thomasgoodmanwrites.com. I'll mention if I, if, if I just have a moment also that on my website, thomasgoodmanwrites.com, there is a free 26-page uh, digital download of photographs of the actual characters, including the child hostages, the to the two officers who were killed. And uh it 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 was fun to collect all this together and get permission from the different copyright owners to put this in. And it's free, even if you don't end up buying a, a, a book. There are spoilers. So if you're wanting to be surprised at who the last man is, read the novel first yes. and then do the digital download. But it is really interesting to see the faces of these actual people. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I believe one of um, the people here tonight was telling us that one of the fourth grade girls mm. had actually gone back. Yes. And to, to see mm -hmm. where, you know, her family had moved out of Cisco mm -hmm. and maybe for some healing purposes had come back to want to see where this took place. Yeah. Every time I come back for a visit to uh, this County, there's somebody will step up and tell me yet another account of, one of their family members having been involved in some way. So it's, it's really fascinating. And yes, she was telling me that too, that her dad in the sixties, um, let this couple into the bank who were kind of peering into the glass of the bank. And so, uh, that little girl, she must have been in her late forties, early fifties at that point, probably terribly traumatized by being a, a, uh, a hostage, a human shield. And so I think that was actually had to have been therapeutic for her to go back through the bank and kind of relive this probably 30 years later, 40 years later. Mm -hmm. And this 
is a very small place, (laughs) which we love. Mm -hmm. Um, But you think of that happening, Mm -hmm. and we drove down the alley, and we saw where the location is. So it is. It's it's very fascinating, friends. Please find the book, The Last Man, Thomas. It's been an absolute pleasure. Friends of Cisco, thank you for allowing us to be here. Um, we've we've had a wonderful time. So, Thomas, I, I hope you had fun, and I hope you come back. Are you working on anything right now? I'm. I am working on. There's a fictional character at the end of this novel, and I kind of take her back from her 70s to her 20s, so late 1800s Texas, and uh, it won't be quite the shoot 'em up that this <laughs> book is, but I'm having fun writing it. All right. Well, you have to come back. And if you're going to be anywhere else live or doing book signings, please let us know so we can share with our friends out there. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. Okay, Chris, we just recorded um, in the Conrad Hilton Center and so much history, such such an old historic building in Cisco, Texas. Absolutely. So we thought we would bring on our new friend, Tammy Loran, and she is going to tell us all about the Hilton Center, all about Cisco. Um, she is not only the director of the Conrad Hilton Center, but she's also the director at the Chamber of Commerce in Cisco. Tammy. Located in that same lo- building. Located in that same building. Yes. yes. All right, Tammy. Well, thank you for deciding to come on. We really appreciate it. Why don't you tell our listeners more about you? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Tammy Loran, and I, like you said in the introduction, I am the executive director to the Chamber of Commerce and to the Conrad Hilton Center and Museum. Uh, I'm a former teacher, retired teacher of 28 years, stayed retired one month, and I got a call from the Chamber of Commerce, and they asked me to uh, come interview. They thought I would do a good job at promoting Cisco. And at that time, I was the mayor of Cisco and was promoting Cisco. And uh, they said, well, at least you, then you could get paid for it, you know, and they kind of bribed me into, you know, the fact that I'd only have to work about 25 hours a week. And and uh, so I went to work for them a month after I retired and, uh, and been there, you know, almost five years now. And uh, it, you know, has turned into a full-time job. <clears throat> and um because of the Chamber of Commerce is located inside the Conrad Hilton Center, I had to learn a lot of the history uh, about the Conrad Hilton Center. Although I was born and raised in Cisco, uh, you know, you you kind of become immune to those buildings because you sometimes don't really realize the importance of them. And so after, I'd been there about a year and the opening to the executive director job came open for the Conrad Hilton Center. And so they said, you know, since you're already down here working, would you like to also be the director to the Conrad Hilton Center? So I have two positions, uh, wear two different hats on any given day. And so I took on uh, both roles and I have have loved it. And I enjoy, you know, learning each and every day about more and more things in Cisco. And the importance of that building was that that was Conrad Hilton's very first hotel. Uh, You may have noticed it when you were in town uh, on the top of the building. It said Mobley 1916. That was the year that building was built by Henry Lankford Mobley. And he was the owner of that hotel. It was 32 rooms. And um, after three years in 1919, um, Conrad Hilton came to town. Uh, He didn't come 
specifically uh, to stay there. He was kind of on a whim. Mm -hmm. Uh, He came there to buy a bank. Uh, He had owned a bank in New Mexico uh, where he was born and raised. And he'd heard we had a bank for sale, and which we did for $75,000. When he got here, he met with the owner of that bank. They got crossways. In fact, the owner said, you're wasting my time. You know, if you really want it now, it's 80000 He went up on the price. And uh, Conrad was a little bit upset over that, Mr. Hilton was. So he uh, ended up over at the Mobley Hotel to, just to spend the night because he needed a room. And when he acquired about a room, uh, the owner, Mr. Mobley, you know, told him, said, we don't have any rooms to rent. Said, uh, huh. you know, we're renting around the room the excuse me around the clock in eight hour shifts to all the oil field men in town we had a population of about ten thousand at that time and most of it was driven by an oil boom and so mr mobley uh, you know assumed that mr hilton was in town for the oil field boom and when he questioned him about it mr hilton told him said no i'm not here for the oil field boom i, I came to you know see if i could buy a bank and mm-hmm. i couldn't get the bank loan. And, of course, a light bulb kind of went off in Mr. Mobley's head. He said, have you ever thought about owning a hotel? He said, it's for sale because I'm going to try my hand in the oil field business. And so apparently they struck up a conversation over a three-hour period, checked books, and he ended up buying it for $40,000. And, of course, that uh, was, you know, how he acquired his empire of what we know as the Hilton chain uh, mm-hmm. from all over the world today. And uh, he never changed the name of the original building. It stayed the same as the Mobley. In the meantime, in about an eight-year time period, he bought some others in the state of Texas, uh, El Paso and San Angelo and in Abilene and in mm-hmm. Ballinger. And it wasn't until after he built his first one, the Statler there in Dallas, uh, that uh, he started branding his name on them. Uh, after he built that one, the Statler, uh, people apparently really enjoyed uh, the way it was presented to them uh, that he became known as the innkeeper to the world. And that's when he started building all over the world. Interesting. Yes, yes. I didn't know he he built the Stadler. I didn't either. I was just sitting here going, wait, what? (laughs) I've stayed there before and didn't even know that. Yeah. And, you know, so he passed away in 1979 at the age of 92. And from 79 to 86, uh, the Mobley actual hotel went under a huge construction. In fact, it was completely gutted. The second floor had collapsed on top of the first floor, so they completely had to gut the building. What is still original to that building uh, is the outside wall. The brick wall is still the original uh, wall. Wow. Uh, And so in 1986, they reopened it and called it the Conrad Hilton Center and Museum. And uh, it has an event center uh, in it as well that where we have parties and you name it is in there, uh, weddings and uh, memorial services, just about anything uh, is held in that particular room. It'll hold about 200 people. A lot of people get married in there, and that way they can say they married in <laughs> That's really hotel. neat, actually. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah, and we have a museum upstairs, uh, and it's free to the public. 
and uh, we take by donations only. And uh, it's a fantastic little museum up there. It tells a lot of history about Conrad from the time he was very, very young until his, until his death. And a lot of people don't uh, realize that he created a foundation that is still in existence today in California called the Conrad N. Hilton Foundation. And we there in Cisco were kind of umbrellaed under that. And okay. uh, they they graciously give us grants uh, once a year. Wow. Uh, to, and, it, and it's very... Um, very nice of them, you know, to help us keep our lights on and our water running. And it actually pays for part of my salary. And uh, and so it's, you know, it's just a part of history that we are it's so proud of. And uh, it's very easily to get to. And then we advertise it on uh, on the interstate. A lot of people exit, you know, from interstate because they sit on billboards and things and mm-hmm. I come in and look at it. And uh, and we have people from all over the world visit, from Japan to China to, uh, gosh, we've had New Zealand and Australia and Italy. We have lots and lots of people from worldwide that come in and visit that that particular building and and uh, it's it's just a it's just a part of our history that we so love there in Cisco. Well, I was thinking you have people from China and Japan and Chris and I were saying we had never been to Cisco and it's only two hours from the DFW Metroplex. Absolutely. It's an easy drive. Uh, you know, it's on Interstate 20 between you know, the DFW area and Abilene is about half, you know, a mm-hmm. little, you know, east, east of Dallas-Fort Worth on Interstate 20. Uh, population of uh, 3,000, you know, 893 people about. Uh, very small compared to the 1919 when there was 10,000 people. Uh, but it, it's a great little town that offers a lot, a uh, lot of of comforts for a small town. You know, we have two wineries, uh, Blue Duck, and we have Broken X Winery there. We also have a uh, a uh, brewery uh, okay. there as well, uh, Red Gap Brewery, and uh, they're actually a distribution center as well. They, they actually distribute their beer all over the state of Texas. And uh, in fact, I helped them one time actually can beer. And that was a really cool process to see how that that was uh, took place. So that was really neat. So what can people do in Cisco? If we want to come back and visit, you were telling us about a trail. And actually, someone else asked us, did you see the trail when you were there? (laughs) I said, no, but we're going back because Tammy told me we have to come see this trail. Yes. You know, Back in the early 1900s, we had a zoo, um, actually, there in Cisco. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of story about this, something I've heard all my life. My my father proposed to my mom sitting on top of the oh. monkey cages at that zoo. Oh, and so they always said they had five little monkeys, and, of course, me being one of those. And, uh, you know, so now I get to tell that story to everyone else. But uh, oh. that zoo was built... And uh, it was built first uh, to house the animals inside our hollow man-made dam. At one time, was the world's largest hollow man-made dam that was built in the 1920s. And so what they did was they uh, – you could actually walk all the way through the dam and view the animals. And then they would let them out of their – you know – out of 
out of their cages. Mm-hmm. But what they found real quick was that that was the conditions were not conducive for the, the environment that those animals needed. So they had to move the animals to what the current location of what we call the old zoo is. And uh, so they moved those. There's remnants of those cages and caves still in existence today. Wow. And about four years ago, uh, those were turned into walking trails. And uh, it, we have people from everywhere come and now walk those trails and climb through the caves. Oh, and, my gosh. And, yes, so and it's really unique, and uh, it's very historical, and, and uh, we are very proud of that. It's just another thing for for Cisco to kind of put us on the map. And, uh, you know, not only that, but in that same area, there was the largest man-made swimming pool at one time. Yes, and it is still, the remnants of it is still there. People fish out of it now, and they also have hold, uh, uh, they actually have boat races, little electric boat races Uh in it, uh, battery-operated, and... I don't remember swimming in it, but I do remember looking at it and holding my father's hand on a Fourth of July and just seeing a sea of people. Uh-huh. And it and it's it's really very unique, and and I recommend people to take a look at it and see uh, see what it was like. A lot of people used to go there for family reunions, but also that was senior trips, and so uh-huh. a lot of people come through the museum and say, "I remember when." My senior trip was at you know, Lake Cisco, and uh, and so it was, but it was closed early, in the early 1970s. Okay, and uh, and from there, you know, it, it had a roller skating rink uh, <laughs> on the second <laughs> floor. Uh, it had um, it had putt putt golf mm. uh, as well, and it was just a great little place for people to come and visit Cisco and okay. and have something to do. And, of course, our lake, the dam that I was talking to you about is, you know, almost 100 years old. And it is still, uh, it still holds our water uh, for our dam, you know, for our city. And so it is uh, really unique uh, as well. And it's a small little lake that, in fact, I've had people tell me it's the best kept secret in the the state of Texas. What? Yeah, it's a great little lake. (laughs) Yes, great little lake. Fishing or skiing, either one. Oh, okay. We have a list now. We have a list now, Chris and Cisco. We have things to do and see. And we told our we told our little one, you got to come with us and see some because the caves and the walk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She loved all that. Leave her in the monkey cage. (laughs) Leave her in the monkey cage. (laughs) (laughs) You could, and it's just you know those are just to name a few of the things that were very you know. Of course, we're proud of everything, but you know there's other historical things like uh, the man that wrote. Precious Memories. I believe his name was W.B. Wright. He's buried in our cemetery uh, there in Cisco. So there's some history there. And of course, uh, Dash Croft from Seals and Croft was born and raised in Cisco. Uh, And uh, he now lives in Marble Falls area. And uh, but I can remember listening to him to sing uh, his songs that they wrote. Summer Breeze, one of them. I can remember him singing that song at our all school reunion. Really? Really? Yes, it was fantastic. (laughs) And he came back to visit 
Uh, it's been now two years. Uh, in November, he came and visited oh and, uh, and stayed there at the Hilton with me for probably a couple of hours. And we visited. And I, his parents, I remember them. I lived on the same street as his parents. Oh and uh, we talked about, you know, they used to come and pick my pears off of my trees. Mm-hmm. And then they would make me pear jam and jelly. Oh. And, uh, you know, it was just unique. That's and, so uh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, so much history. Um, but tell us a few facts that our listeners may not know about Cisco. Do you have some things you know about Cisco that we may not know about? <laughs> well, you know, uh, the things that I've kind of already mentioned, of course, the zoo hiking trails, mm-hmm. you know, the world's largest man-made swimming pool, the uh, dam uh, itself. Uh, all of those are things that people may not be aware that we actually had. You know, or have it there in Cisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we have some billionaires that live in Cisco. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's actually on um, the I believe is it Forbes? Like when okay, they yeah. The list. Yes, they've been on that list before. Okay. Uh, you know, so it's just some unique. We have great restaurants. Uh, you know that we you can. Uh, as well as some boutiques and mm-hmm. it's it's small and it's quaint and it's um, safe and it's people are happy there and we have probably one of the best quilt shops in the state of Texas it's it's a mat pretty good size so if you like to quilt there's a great quilt shop downtown uh, you know so and one of the other facts I would like to say is that we have a manufacturing company there in Cisco that uh, actually makes parts for the Bell helicopter. Oh. But not only that, but they also make parts for the Patriot missile. And their parts are on all over the world on Patriot missiles. That sounds like one of your billionaires right there. <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. Uh, well, you you were telling us about a, I, I apologize, I don't mean to interrupt, but that, um, Log cabin. That was a bed, yes. bed and breakfast. Bed and breakfast. That is a fantastic. We have some Airbnb, Airbnb uh, places for people to stay out at the lake as well as in town. And this particular one is in town on Sixth uh, Street and Avenue I, and it's called uh, the guest, uh, the log cabin guest house. And the circle on that is somewhere around the 1870s, 80s. Wow. And uh, the people that own that own a, actually own a uh, antique store downtown, and they bought it off of eBay and had it shipped in from, I believe, Pennsylvania, and then um, re, you know, had it erected, and, and it was – the logs were all numbered, and they put them back together and made it into uh, a log cabin that you can actually rent. And it is a fantastic. It is. I've stayed in it. I was the second person to ever stay in it. My brother was the first, and uh, it is just so quaint. And uh, the people that own that are the nicest people you will ever ever meet. And uh, that is a really. Um, it kind of stands out because there's nothing else like it, you know, in that yeah. particular neighborhood. But it is a, just a, really a fantastic log cabin that that they did a great job at, at uh, placing it there in Cisco and and uh, have the people, you know, come and stay in it. And a lot of a lot of them have, uh, you know, they have a girls, you know, weekend and oh, you know, that's a good idea. Stay, yeah, yeah. Stay in it and stuff. So it's it's really good. And it's two story. 
And uh, but it's they did a like I said a really good job on that, and I highly recommend people checking it out. You can go to Airbnb and just Google, you know, I mean, uh, just search Cisco, and that'll pop up on it, you know. And so you can look at it and things. But it's it's another really, really, uh, you know, unique place in Cisco. You know, something I failed to mention was um, back on the Conrad Hilton Center. Apparently, we have a ghost. And there oh, okay. <laughs> and we've had, we have actually had some ghost hunters come in and spend the night and have had some activity that they've, um, you know, been able to detect. And, um, and it's, it's pretty, apparently she, her wedding dress is upstairs. And when I went to work for the Chamber of Commerce, the lady that was before me, she told me, she said, Hey, I just want you to know that the Conrad Hilton Center is haunted. And I, you know, I kind of laughed like, okay, you know. And uh-huh. and I, <laughs> so one day I was sitting in my office and no one else was in the building and all of a sudden the elevator come from I could hear the elevator coming down. And I thought, "Oh my gosh, do I have people upstairs and I didn't even know it, you know?" So mm-hmm. I run upstairs, there's nobody up there. Nobody. And um, I thought, that's kind of weird. Why was the elevator coming from the second floor down to the first floor? I mm-hmm. heard the doors open. I heard the doors close. I looked in the hall. I looked, you know, I couldn't find nobody. And it's happened to me about five or six times since then. Oh, uh, my gosh. Yes, it's a little strange. And uh, I had a, a really good friend of mine in my office about three months ago. And he was actually sitting on the couch and I have a hall that you can view past my office and he kind of take a double take and, you know, look. And I said, uh, he said, I got to go. And I said, okay. And he said, well, Irene just went in your kitchen. Oh, <laughs> and my I was God. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So, so, you know, that's another <laughs> part, part of the, the Hilton, you know, center that, that we're kind of doing a spinoff of and we've had people two different times we've had so far. And we've got people wanting to book it to come and, and uh, see if they can detect more of more the ghosts <laughs> there. Um, <laughs> we might have to get on that list, Chris. I want to stay in the log cabin, actually. Yeah, the log cabin. Yeah. We'll stay there one night and then we'll go get, we'll uh, pick up some uh, paranormal activity the next night. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Oh. Um, all right. Oh, wait, I had a question. Did okay. the bank that we covered in the case that yes. um, on this episode, is that the same bank Conrad Hilton wanted to buy? It is not. Okay. Okay. I wanted no. to ask that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I thought, oh, man. <laughs> but I will say that bank is still, the building of that is still uh, in contact. And uh, mm-hmm. it's privately owned. And I, of course, I my goal would be to get our hands back on it and turn it into a small museum with oh, all yeah. of our Santa Claus, you know, information in it. Yes, yeah. Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. We've got got to see that where the alley. Um, yes. Tom had told us to to take a look at it when we got into town. So, um, it's it's kind of incredible to know what went down in that little area <laughs> right yes. there. Right. When yes. you're reading it in the book and you're imagining it and then you see it, it just takes yes. on a whole different 
Absolutely. a whole different um, term with it. But um, yes. well, Tammy, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, we had so much fun. We can't wait to come back. We were we were there just a few hours. So we're going to come back and spend a weekend with you. Great. We're going to see the museum. We're going to go see the trails. So friends, Please contact us, contact Tammy at the Conrad Hilton Center. Um, Reach out to her. And um, if you have any questions, she knows all the ins and outs of Cisco. (laughs) And Chris, she said the winery names. We've got a little plug of our our winery friends in Cisco. So, Tammy, thanks again for coming on. And, um, uh, yeah, if there's anything else you need from us, let us know. But let's bring some people to Cisco. Thank you so very much for having me. And and again, welcome to Cisco. (laughs) Thanks, Tammy. (laughs) All right. All right, friends. Until next time, we'll see you soon.